So he is an unvaccinated person in the world of Delta. On the other hand, this is what I do to keep him safe. Number one, he is at much lower risk of severe disease. That is just a truism. Uh, healthy children are much lower risk of severe disease. If he were immunocompromised, I'd be very, very much more protective of him. Second is I'm masking him. So he is wearing a mask. He, We were all getting locks when I didn't have to wear it as a vaccinated person. Now he's back to wearing masks in inverse settings along with all of us. Third is that he can go back to school. He should go back to school. And that is important because I think we all saw the mental health effects, the learning loss, the eating disorders, the, the prolonged school closures were, we're gonna look back at this time and not think that was the right thing the United States did or especially California because UK and Europe didn't do it and they kept children in school. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and welcome back to the show. I'm thrilled to let you know that joining us today is an infectious disease doctor who is going to give us the update on the Delta variant, what we need to know, and ways to mitigate risk for ourselves and our families. Joining us is Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease doctor, professor of medicine and associate chief in the division of HIV, infectious diseases, and Global Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She's also the director of the UCSF Center for AIDS Research and the medical director of the HIV Clinic Ward 86 at San Francisco General Hospital. Her research focuses on HIV in women and adherence measurement in HIV treatment and prevention, and most recently on how to mitigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Gandhi, does such a great job of taking all the data that's out there and letting you know what's really going on without all of the fear, which I think is really important because anxiety is already high enough for all of us. And before we get started, I just need to note that this interview is not to be considered medical advice. Any decisions you make for your health and well-being should always be discussed with your doctor and trusted healthcare provider. The show notes for today's interview, along with a link to Dr. Gandhi's Twitter handle, can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 141. On that note, let's get into the show. Here we go. Welcome, Dr. Gandhi. Thank you for being here today. I'm honored. Thank you. So you're the voice of reason that I turn to on Twitter. I'm not even on Twitter except to follow you. This is okay. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, because the data you put out when I hear all the fear mongering and all the different data, I come to you and then it's you've already synthesized what what's buzzing. So I want to talk to the people, you know, to help help the people who are vaccinated understand what's going on in terms of what's buzzing. I happen to be in Boston, as you know, in Provincetown, a couple around the Fourth of July weekend, there was a spike. Massachusetts is the second most vaccinated state, yet now we're a hotspot. 
tell us where do we stand with Delta and its efficacy? What what do we what can we discern from what's actually happening in some of this data that's floating around right now? Yes. So, I mean, I think that last week was sort of a disaster for public health messaging because I think we didn't cut through that noise and say cleanly what happened in Provincetown. So, for example, there were a lot of people who descended on Provincetown. July 4th is a very fun weekend, um, a very traditional weekend for a lot of um men with sex with men, lots of fun. And there was a lot of inside activity. There was a lot of windows closed. There was intimacy. All of that was going on. And so it isn't exactly the most generalizable situation to like you and, you know, being in a store or you having dinner with your vaccinated friends or it really wasn't that generalizable. And unfortunately, there was a lot of lessons that were taken from it that we couldn't put out as generalizable. The breakthrough rate for with Delta is not 75%. We definitely see breakthrough infections with Delta, which I'll explain, but it's likely not that high. And in fact, Dr. Fauci yesterday told us, you know, the absolute number of breakthrough infections is going up, but the proportion is probably staying the same in terms of it's just that we have so many more people vaccinated. These breakthrough infections are mild. The most important thing from that Provincetown outbreak is it was a stress test, like you won't believe, like all these people inside, like lots of stuff going on, mixed vaccination and unvaccination, because yes, the Provincetown vaccination rate was high, but there were people coming from all over the world, uh, all over the country. Yes. There was still such rate, low rates of severe illness in those who got the Delta variant. And in fact, there were about three people who were vaccinated and went to the hospital and then they um, came out pretty quickly. No deaths. Really amazing power of the effectiveness of the vaccines, even under stress tests, of preventing severe disease, hospitalizations, and death. And that is the first thing I would have said um, out of that Provincetown outbreak last week as the message that I got. And then there are a couple of other messages. Yes, this is more transmissible. Yes, this is more contagious, the Delta variant. Yes, that it can spread from those who are having mild breakthrough infections. And so that's why, to me, Putting back masks for this temporary period of the Delta is totally understandable, is totally the right thing to do, because why should we even get mild breakthrough infections? And especially since this is so contagious. But the ultimate message was not that the vaccines failed. They did not. They do not fail. They work. And the ultimate message to me was, um, let's do everything we were trying to do to get vaccine rates up in our country. Completely. And that's, I guess, why I was partially concerned, because that messaging then goes to people, oh, the viral load's the same in vax as unvax, and 70% got it. But like you're saying, this was a unique situation. It was a unique situation. And and what you just said, the interesting thing about what you just said about viral load being the same. Yes. Is, um, so vaccinated people, unvaccinated people, at one point in time, the, the cycle threshold of the test, the PCR test, look to be the same. There was just a Singapore study literally the next day with Delta breakthrough infections that showed that yes, the viral load by the CT value was the same on one day, but it came down more quickly in those who were um, vaccinated. Why? Totally makes biological sense. Your immune response comes in, fights that virus, brings it down. So you're likely not as infectious if you are vaccinated than you are unvaccinated. It's probably a shorter period of time. And um, the vaccines will bring down that viral load. So we don't want to equate one point in time with infectivity. Um, And also they didn't culture the virus. So there was just too much messaging there that got got so scary, I think. And it shouldn't have scared the vaccinated 
the vaccinated should feel great that they got vaccinated. It should make the unvaccinated want to get vaccinated because they are so effective at preventing severe disease and hospitalizations. Thank you for clarifying that. And I'm actually going to state the date because since the data is changing so quickly, August 3rd, 2021, we're doing yes, this interview. Yes, good point. Yes. <laughs> the Singapore study was one day after the Provincetown study, literally just the next day. So okay. July 30th was the Provincetown study, or July 29th and July 30th, we got the Singapore study. Perfect. Do we know the efficacy? I mean, are we putting numbers? I've heard anything right from the Israel study from 67%. I heard someone out of Brigham and Women's today saying it's 75%. I've heard 95%. Do we know or is the data really not clear? Well, it actually, in a way, depends on where you are in the world. And I think that's a real okay. So so let me explain that the fact that in the UK, the effectiveness of the vaccines that we use in this country are 88% against symptomatic infection and 96% against uh, severe disease. And we can safely say in this country that the effectiveness against severe disease is even higher than 96% because those who are in the hospital who are hospitalized right now are the unvaccinated at about a rate of 99% to one, meaning most 1% of people who are vaccinated are in the hospital right now after a severe breakthrough, whereas the people in the hospital right now, 99% of them are unvaccinated. So we know the effectiveness against severe disease is still extremely high, approaching, you know, about 99%. However, the, the, level of effectiveness against symptomatic infection, like getting even a mild breakthrough infection, I think depends on how far you are from your vaccine. And Dr. Fauci actually talked about this yesterday Mm. at the task force briefing that in Israel, they started vaccinating earlier and there are more mild symptomatic breakthroughs at about 64%, whereas the UK, that's 88% against symptomatic breakthroughs. That is likely because they've been longer since their vaccines. Yeah antibodies will go down in your nose, not because um, there's anything wrong with your immune system. That's actually a normal, non-glitchy, you know, it's what your immune system does. It does lower your antibodies in your nose. It can't hold all your antibodies. Otherwise you'd have your blood would be so thick of protein, but as your antibodies go down you in your nose, you are more likely to get a mild um, symptomatic breakthrough. Two ways to prevent that. Actually three ways to prevent that. One is to mask easiest, simplest way. And that's what we're doing. And that was the right thing to put back. Second way is there are nasal vaccines that are coming out that will actually stimulate the immune response right at that level. We need it. Um, The nose so that we combine our systemic vaccine with the nasal vaccine that we have good nasal antibodies. And then we also have good systemic vaccine. The third way is to get transmission down, period, because you are not going to be exposed to a mild symptomatic breakthrough if we can get transmission down in our country. And the way to get transmission down fundamentally in our country is to get more people vaccinated. It's why transmission is super high in places with 30% vaccination, and it's not as high in places with 67% uh, 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 vaccination. I mean, it's really tracking with areas of the country where there's less vaccination. So the ultimate solution to getting the the fact that your antibodies are down lower in your nose, which is natural from the vaccines to not get infected, is to bring transmission down. And the ultimate solution is always going back 
to getting more of us vaccinated. There's, there's the, the White House keeps on saying this. That's what we need to be doing right now. Right. By the conversations going to passports, it's going to requirements. You can see the swing in the conversation in this country. How do we break through the lack of vaccine uptake at uh, the high level that we needed to be? So those are the three solutions not to get a mild symptomatic breakthrough. And the one that's totally under your control is wearing that mask. Is wearing the mask. I love that. I love tangible things that we can do or do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, do we have a number? Are we still shooting for herd or is that not? I mean, what, what, what is that number in terms of what percentage do we need across this country? And does that actually include people who have had a case? Are we tracking those numbers? Well, this is a very good question. So, you know, the concept of herd immunity is that we get to a point where we have so many people vaccinated or immune that we protect the unimmune who can't get vaccinated yet like children. That number was um, really at a better point with alpha variant. Um, It really, (laughs) 70% was really where it was. We thought that we could get to herd immunity with 70% vaccination. And now, unfortunately, the Delta variant has moved up those numbers once again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more like 80%. um, So, you know, 80, even 85%, something much higher. That is a very huge disappointment about the Delta variant. It's so much more transmissible. So that is disappointing that our herd immunity numbers went up. On the other hand, um, the one thing that I can say about the Delta variant is going back to what you just asked, what about people who've had natural infection? People who've had natural infection are protected against reinfection. There are multiple ways to say, okay, if I've been naturally infected, how do I know that I have good immunity? You can look at antibodies, which they do have. You can look at T cells, which they do have. But fundamentally, the clinical correlate of the durability of natural infection is do they have the same rate of reinfection as vaccinated people Mm. do? And frankly, the answer is yes. Um, They do have the same low rate of reinfection. And there's some evidence from Israel that the 9% of the Israeli population who's had natural infection are not getting mild symptomatic breakthroughs with Delta as as high of a rate as those who've been vaccinated. Because your antibody responses are very complex and in breadth after natural infection. And there was just a study in BioArchive this morning. This is how fast data moves. Um, You've had natural infection and that your antibodies are robust and they sort of become mature and differentiate with time. So going back to this question of natural immunity, well, yes, I believe natural immunity, of course, combines with vaccine-induced immunity to give us our herd immunity threshold. And the one good thing about Delta, I'm not saying I ever want a Delta happen, is that um, it will get more of the unvaccinated people immune. Tragically, some of them become immune through hospitalization. Tragically, some will die, which is happening right now, preventable deaths that didn't need to happen in our country since we'd had the vaccine. But those with mild disease, yes, they will get natural immunity um, from uh, against SARS-CoV-2, and that will add to our overall level of immunity. And what are we seeing in the UK? That's what we're seeing. We basically saw the cases plummet, not because they closed down society, right? Because they actually opened society on 19th right. of uh, July. They, they um, stopped all restrictions in the UK. About seven days later, the case started plummeting. You can't attribute that to mass distancing ventilation. You can't. They just opened. Right. Um, that is being attributed to natural immunity, that those who um, uh, had not yet had the possibility of getting the vaccine who were younger had mild infections and they, they got, uh, many of them got mild infections and they got immunity. And that higher level of immunity in a population 
does bring the cases down. And so I'm not calling this a silver lining. I hate the Delta variant, but I do think it will make those who've declined to be vaccinated. It is finding them because it's so accessible and it may make them immune. Yeah. Well, let's talk about kids then, because I think there's parents who are concerned about either passing it to the kids, even if they're double vaxxed, um, fully vaxxed, I'll say fully vaxxed, or, uh, you know, that they're going to be exposed in some way. What, um, what are your thoughts in terms of children and vaccine? I saw something you posted, you did vaccinate your son, but obviously then people are weighing the risk of myocarditis. And then I know one of your colleagues, I believe, Dr. Uh, Prasad wrote an article about maybe one dose. Like, What are your thoughts? I'd love to get your input. I'm so glad you're asking me this because in a way I'm the perfect example of of what you should do with children in a way, because I am a infectious disease doctor. So I know a lot about the vaccines, but I also happen to have a 13 year old and an 11 year old. So so I have one that was qualified to get the vaccine when we opened it up to 12 and 15 year olds. And then I had one that is not yet can be vaccinated. So I can relate to these fears and concerns that parents are having that, um, that those who are less than 12 can't be vaccinated. We have the Delta variant. So I can explain my line of thinking, even in a personal way. The 12 to 15 year old, in this case, 13 year old, I did give him his full course of vaccination, which was two shots. I too was concerned about the rare but real cases of myocarditis that were occurring among young people. And it was especially young men, young males after the second dose. So I actually did end up delaying his second shot um, uh, from three weeks to ended up giving him at six weeks. And I was balancing lots of things. I was balancing the fact that Delta had come in. So I wanted to give him a second shot. And then the rare cases of myocarditis. Because I have the advantage of talking to a lot of physicians and pediatricians, I really became reassured that these cases of myocarditis are very rare, but also very mild. Like people at the beginning were hospitalizing people because they were worried, but they went away really quickly and people did really well. Kids did really well. So because of that, I felt very comfortable and I uh, have given him the full course of vaccination, the 13-year-old. Okay, now going to the 11-year-old. He can't be vaccinated. He just can't. I mean, I could lie and say he could go vaccinated, but he's really tiny. And I actually don't want to give him a 30 microgram dose because I'm waiting for that's the Pfizer vaccine dose for adults and 13 and 12 to 15 year olds. And I'm waiting for the, the clinical trial data, which will be coming in uh, October for five and 11, five to 11 year olds. And I do think he'll be here by October. They actually just expanded the trial because they wanted to make sure there weren't side effects. The FDA said to Pfizer, hey, can you expand it from 2,200 to 5,000 kids, mm-hmm. five to 11, to make sure that we rule out uh, rare side effects? And they said, yes. So they uh, it is going to delay the trials. Um, so he is an unvaccinated person in the world of Delta. On the other hand, um, this is what I do to keep him safe. Number one, he is at much lower risk of severe disease. That is just a truism. Uh, healthy children are mu- much lower risk of severe disease. If he were immunocompromised, I'd be very, very much more protective of him. Second is I'm masking him. So he is wearing a mask. He, w- We were all getting locks when, when I didn't have to wear it as a vaccinated person. Now he's back to wearing masks in inverse settings along with all of us. Third is that he can go back to school. He should go back to school. And that is important because I think we all saw the mental health effects, the learning loss, the eating disorders, the, the prolonged school closures. Were, we're going to look back at this time and not think that was the right thing the United States did, or especially California, because UK and Europe didn't do it and they kept children in school. So, but 
going into the school with Delta, I would want and I'm going to get in the state of California mitigation procedure. So children will be masking and there will be ventilation. Now, should those come off? Yes, they should come off with time. And that's the other thing is we're having this conflict in this country. I don't want my child masked. I want my child masked. In my mind, there's a compromise for both those positions. Yeah. Going into the school year with the Delta variant, we do need these mitigation procedures. We do need masks. We do need ventilation. But if you do metric-based approaches, like a number of when masks come off, of when um, you, know, you don't have to do the distancing, if you don't have to do this, People then have an endpoint to look forward to. Oh, when we get back to low case rates in our community, low hospitalization rates in our community, then the mask can be optional. And some of us will choose to mask our children. Some of us will choose not to. But if we don't do metric-based, we're going to have a huge division in our country of um, people who want the mask, people who don't want the mask. And the other thing I liked about the CDC last week is they basically acknowledged that point and went to a metric-based system. If you're in a place of high community transmission, mask. If you're in a place like Vermont, you have low community transmission, by their parameters, you don't have to mask if you're vaccinated. Metric-based will get us to a compromise we need in this country. This is so good. And what what do you think about one shot? There's, there yes. was that study at Israel that I saw too, that one shot was, it said, now this was back in June or May, 100% protection to youth. Uh, and that, that it says both because the second dose adds relative relatively little, if any, immunogenicity and we yes. know that for some young people there could be comp- complications so uh, i just yes no so that actually at the time i thought that was really good so what they ended up doing is in the pfizer actually went back to their 12 to 15 year olds and they said actually what was the level of protection after just one shot yeah. and it did look like a hundred percent there were only 18 people kids who got covid in that entire trial of about 2300 kids and of all 18, they got it in the placebo group. All of them got in the placebo group and they were all within the parameters of one shot, meaning that's why Pfizer went back and said, it looks like one shot is enough to protect you against the alpha variant. That's the trick though. That was the alpha variant. And, um, And that study was done in the context of the alpha variant. The issue about the Delta variant is even though two shots are extremely protective against severe disease, it does need both shots to get your antibody levels up to full protection uh, against at least symptomatic COVID. And so that's what exactly what made me change my mind is I was doing one shot with a 13-year-old. Delta comes along. I was actually always going to give him two shots, but I was going to wait. And then Delta comes along. I put it all together and I say, okay, fine. I'm giving him a second shot. So it really, we have to remember that things change in a risk versus versus benefit analysis with COVID all the time. This is what's so painful about COVID and yeah. that things keep on changing. I don't actually um, think the CDC was wrong to take off masks for vaccinated on May 13th. I thought it gave a lot of people hope. I yes. thought it unvaccinated people vaccinated, some of them vaccinated. But then the data changes and then there's more transmissibility with the Delta variant and then they come back. If we had to accept and be humble with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, that data and recommendations are going to change. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, what happened to the flu? <laughs> Was yeah. that a case of interferon? And I don't know any, I'm not, I don't have a <laughs> medical background. I read something about that. 
Can you talk about this? And if interferon was a contributor, can you explain what that is? I, I, yes, so I'll just though I don't that. think, I don't actually think it was that. I think okay. I think what happened with the flu is that, um, is that masks and distancing and staying away from each other does reduce all infectious diseases. We just have to decide, and including the influenza, and these masks are likely even more effective against influenza because it's more what we call droplet spread. Yeah. And the bigger virus um, uh, or comes with like stuff around it that makes it bigger. And so uh, a cloth masks are likely very effective. And so influenza, and then we all stayed home when we were sick. I mean, people wouldn't even like go out the door if they felt um, sick these days, whereas we used to go out True. and work when we were sick all the time. Right. So I think all of that made the flu essentially go away. This is the problem. We could avoid all colds and flus with mass distancing, social isolation for the rest of our lives. That is a way to live. And the reason that's not a way to live is there have been other consequences clearly of all of this keeping away from each other. Social isolation is very real. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mental illness is really real, real depression, anxiety, all of that. And so when I think about what to do for influenza as a infectious disease doctor in the future, what I think is no one should ever be coming to work again when they don't feel well. I, I really, that is, we used to do that. Doctors yeah. used to do that. They would like take the Tylenol and they would just like come in. This is, we really need to learn that culture of if we don't want to spread infectious diseases of staying home when we feel unwell, usually colds and flus, you're more infectious when you feel unwell. Um, and so staying home when we feel unwell. And I think that's what will cut down in our influenza rates. Absolutely. And RSV started to circulate too, right? Because yes. there wasn't as much exposure because everyone was masked. So there's, there's exactly and yeah. RSV. Exact. That's exactly what happened. We all got colds in June. The minute yes. of our mask on May 13th, <laughs> everyone got RSV. There was a lot of RSV that will happen. We are yeah. exposed to pathogens. The one thing I will also say is if we avoided all mild pathogens for the rest of our lives, that is not good for your immune system. It is actually not good for what's called microbial diversity in your body. There's something called the NIH Microbiome Project that shows that actually staying away from all mild pathogens will reduce your um, immune diversity and you're not able to fight uh, allergies, autoimmune diseases, and even cancers. So no, it's not the best time to talk about like mild pathogens and colds because no one wants to even think about getting a cold right now with all these breakthrough COVIDs, but there will be a time where we can't avoid all pathogens. It's not the right thing for the human species. Absolutely. How do we get to endemic versus pandemic? Yes. So I think the Delta variant has really proven to us that we're going to be what's called endemic, unfortunately. Now, I know there are people who still think we can eliminate uh, COVID-19. I think the incredible transmissibility of this particular variant um, doesn't mean we can eliminate it, but it does mean it can become endemic. And what does endemic mean? Endemic means that you learn to live with it, but it neither closes down society, nor does it cause high rates of severe illness. That is what the vaccines have proven to us, that they can take it away from a terrible, scary, awful virus that causes high rates of severe illness, and that they can take it down to what the other four common cold coronaviruses do, which can cause mild infections, but does not close society. It's called defanging. I call it defanging the virus. And that is what this 
Um, that is what these vaccines are doing. If we could get everyone vaccinated, more people vaccinated, it's defanging the virus. So it will come with other respiratory viruses. But if we're vaccinated, it will keep it at that low level, not life threatening, um, low level sort of respiratory viruses like the other four common cold coronaviruses. And we'll learn to live with it. The other thing that it will do is in communities that don't vaccinate. And there are some communities in our country that have always had measles outbreaks or other outbreaks of diseases that we also we thought we had under control. Yeah. If you decline to vaccinate, there will there can be severe disease in those communities. And then you rush into those communities, beg people to get the vaccine and also treat. Yes. Um, Which we, we're going to have treatments for this. Absolutely. Where can people learn more about you, follow you? Should I give them your Twitter handle? Is that yes, I don't like tweeting, but I have tweeted in this pandemic. <laughs> I'm going to do it until the pandemic gets better, but then I am actually going to get off Twitter because it, it takes a lot of time, but it is Monica Gandhi nine at, at side Monica Gandhi. Nine. I will put that in the show notes. I am so grateful for your time today. This was so helpful. And I think also going to be very reassuring for people who are concerned. So we should be masking indoors. Yes. Indoors. Yes. Indoors. Rest- Outdoors yes. is still very safe because that's what I was going to ask you. Is outdoors. it safe? Now I'm. Pe- it is because this virus dissipates very readily in the outside air. Ventilation is one of the meanest things you can do to this virus. Okay. The best, one of the best tools we have, and so um, there has not been any. And remember, Delta has been in in India since the beginning of March. Um, so it's not like we don't have experience with Delta. There hasn't been clear links to outside transmission. Um, it really is kind of an indoor, doesn't like the indoors. So I think masking back indoors is the absolute right thing to do. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been so generous you. with your time. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.